Let's take out our Bibles, and we will continue our study in the attributes of God. The attributes of God. Hopefully you received a manuscript this morning. If you didn't, there may be some extras, I'm not sure. If not, you can always email me, and I'd always be willing to send you the sermons for each Sunday, even if you want some from before. And I'm happy to do that. But today we bring, come to a message that is related to the attributes of God, but it's specifically focusing on the, the topic, the broad topic. We have focused on the goodness and greatness of God by way of study, and then we focus that study upon five attributes of God's greatness, His omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience, immutability, and eternality. Those are what we focused upon because those are what we're teaching our children. Today I want to pull back away from that and look at this study and the attributes of God as the fact that what we are trying to do is learn more about God. We are trying to deal with the knowledge of the Holy One. And it is very important that we give ourselves to the knowledge of God. This morning as we do so, what I want us to do is consider knowing God. Do we know about Him? Or do we know Him? So brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider this question this morning. Let's all pray. Father, as we open Your Word, we pray that our hearts would be open before You. That we would be ready to receive You in Your Word as You speak to us through Your Word. We pray that we would be responsive. We pray that we would have such a heart that, that is receptive and that has been able to, by this point, set other things aside. And even if there is a care on our heart, we pray that as we go through uh, this, this morning, that you would deal with us where we are and help us to respond as you would have us to respond, given your truth this morning. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This last summer, I had the privilege of coaching Little League Baseball, and I greatly enjoyed it. And as I have told you, I have very fond memories of my Little League coach, who not only knows the Lord and still is uh, going to church at the church that I grew up in. He was a wonderful man who taught me a lot about baseball. But from a player's perspective, we typically think that young people don't play baseball so that they can befriend a coach, so they can have another friend, because the baseball team has a coach. Instead, most kids play baseball because they want someone to teach them how to hit, how to run, how to steal, how to field, all those matters of baseball. That's what they hope to learn when they sign up for the team. They want to know the stuff of the game. Well, many people approach life and religion in the same way. You go through life, and many would think that there is a buffet of options of how we're supposed to live, or how we can live. And some people, as they look at life, they say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take, for me, I'm going to take the crutch of religion. And then what they do when they decide that they're going to be religious is they're going to do something religious, which may mean they're going to give themselves to some religious guru who they trust who they think that that person 
or that organization is going to help them to achieve, to excel, to cope, to bounce back, and to thrive. And when religion improves their quality of life, they say, well, I'm going to stick with this. And they're going to stick with it as long as they think they need to, until they know perhaps what they think they need to know. Because that will help them with life and getting through it. Well, if that's what we understand to be a religion, that's just false. That's a caricature of what true religion is. Because it makes religion out to be a big list of do's and don'ts. And it sees as its end, it's trying to get people to agree with a particular list of do's and don'ts. That's what religion is. Basically, well, I'm religious, so there are a bunch of things I do or I don't do, and obviously it makes me better than you. And in a religion like that, God just becomes a fixture on the wall, some picture. And that's about it. He's a placeholder in religion, but he's not really of any concern to anyone. He's just on the wall. But true religion is different than that. Basically this. In the true Christian religion, there is one God who is supposed to be the pursuit of all. He's real. He's not simply an idea. He's actually a person who thinks and speaks and acts. So he's the point. He's the pursuit of all of life. And from a Christian standpoint then, our motto for living is not life is short, live it up, live life to its fullest. Instead, our motto is know God, pursue God, delight in God, worship God, love God. And even in churches around all over America, if you tell people that, they may be shocked. Many professing Christians will say, that's a little bit different than what I've heard or what I thought. I thought religion was just doing what I was supposed to do, believing that God has a purpose for my life. Well, this morning, and especially as we approach the knowledge of God, as we teach our our children, our community children in Vacation Bible School, I want to address this topic of knowing God. And specifically, I want to answer the question of who knows God? Who knows God? And overall, we could say there are those who know about God, and there are those who know God. Only two categories. Those who know about Him, and those who know Him. And those who know about God, that that category can be subdivided into two. But in all, every single person, each one of us is going to fall into one of those three categories. I want to consider them this morning. They are those who know God generally, those who know God officially, and those who know God personally. Those who know God generally, officially, and personally. Let's go through each one of those this morning. Most people know God generally. That is to say they know God because of creation. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19. The Bible says this in verse 1 through verse 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words 
to the end of the world. The point of the passage there being that creation is a witness of God. It is the first witness of God. And just as we think a beautiful portrait on the wall, it shows the ability of an artist. So God's invisible worthiness is manifested by His visible creation. The point is this, that all people know about God by simply opening their eyes. That's all it takes to know that there is a God. Open your eyes. We confessed that this morning as we sang, and perhaps you missed it, but I, since I had the message this morning, I took note of it in particular. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed, where'er I turn my eyes. If I survey the ground I tread, or gaze upon the skies, there's not a plant nor flower below that makes thy glories known. Clouds arise and tempests blow by order of thy throne. See, all those things around us, they just are screaming at us that God exists. Now, from a very young age, children are taught that the world around us is simply the product of an explosion that happened billions and billions of years ago. And then what we see around us today is simply the result of evolution. Now, that ought to sound really strange because most of us think that when something explodes, it doesn't look like this years later. It doesn't look better. People don't look at a painting and think, huh, I think some paint cans just exploded and now that is on the canvas. That's not how you get a portrait, through an explosion. Neither is it the case that all of a sudden the snow falls and you wake up in the next morning and you see a row of snowmen on your front lawn and you just say, look what naturally happens when it snows. There are snowmen that form. Neither can we look at our bodies, any part of our bodies and say, you know what? This just naturally happens. That all these things come together in this perfect, perfect way. Just give it a billion years. And it will be like this, from an explosion. You know, just as a portrait on the wall or a snowman in the front yard or looking at our bodies, these all show someone designed this. Someone painted that. Someone rolled up that snow and stacked it on top of each other. Someone made these things. And so it is that God says, look, look around. All those things scream, someone created me. And that was God. And the sun is one of God's chief witnesses. As you look at Psalm 19, the rest of verse 4, the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the earth and its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. That is to say, the sun is one of those things that no one can miss in life. You don't go through life and, and never notice the sun because life revolves around the sun. And while politicians talk about energy sources and green energy, the sun is unique in the heavens in that it is the perfect energy source, just the right distance from earth so that we can walk around and see and we are not fried and we don't freeze. Every single person is affected by the light of the sun and the heat of the sun. And that is obvious to everyone. And we look at something like the sun and we think, wow, Wherever that came from, the person who made that must be pretty great to be able to make that and put everything into the right proportion. 
so that we can walk as we do today, see as we see today, live as we live today. So God, as a summary of this, of this poetic truth in Psalm 19, we, we find a nice summary of this in Romans chapter 1. So we turn forward to the book of Romans in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul speaks of the creation and the fact that it sings God's praise. This is Romans chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 19. The Bible says, What can be known about God is plain to them, plain to people. Why? Well, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Well, how? Well, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So there's the Apostle Paul basically saying that the creation is God's work of art. And that is an obvious fact for all people. Everyone can see that. Everyone knows that. But as soon as we say, well, everyone can look at the creation, realize that there must be a God, we think, well, that's not so because there are people who say they don't believe in God. They don't think that there is such a person as God. I understand. And that is where we have the reality of verse 21. The people who know there's a God refuse to honor Him as God. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, that's God's opinion about man. Man knows God, period. But notice how they respond, naturally. They did not honor Him as God, nor give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, simple truths. The Bible teaches that all mankind know God. Not a single person can honestly say, I didn't know a thing about God. They all know God. Also teaches that man refuses to believe what they know to be so. And all mankind by default fall into that category without exception. Every single person obviously saved Jesus Christ. That is to say, everyone knows God generally. Now they may be unaware of God beyond creation. In other words, we may think of the fact that there are tribal people in remote islands who have never heard anything about God by someone telling them or them reading something about the true God, but they only know about God through creation. But they're unaware beyond that. They also say that people may know God, may have heard about God, but then from there, they would basically say, well, I've heard about it, but you know what? I believe science. I believe what I can see with my eyes. And I can't see God. And I'm not going to believe in what I've been told. So you have a number of people who identify themselves as atheists. They categorize themselves as those who don't believe in God. They don't believe in the God. And often that is the case where they've been told about God and they're refusing what they've been told. And you have a last category of people who they really don't care. Perhaps they've heard about God, but I don't care about God. I can't see God. I can see a lot of other things, and I give myself to a lot of other things. But you kind of have people who are unaware, or people who are very aware and decidedly against, and you have people who just don't care. Maybe. Maybe there's a God, but I don't care about Him. So in all of those cases, 
all of them are the same in this regard, as Paul says, they don't honor God as God. They don't believe in the God who is worthy of worship by each and every person each and every day. There's the point. That's where they're all the same. And they're willing to say that. They're willing to even proclaim something like there is something much more valuable than God. They're not identifying with Him. And from that group, which knows there's a God and perhaps rejects Him, they're not professing Him, we come to another group that actually knows God and they profess God. From group one, we move now to group two. Unlike the previous group, they're going to side with God. They're going to profess to know God. One just knows about and rejects. Now this one says that they're with God. That is to say, many people know God officially. Most people know God generally, but many people know God officially. They know about God because of an experience. These people know more than what they've heard by way of creation because the heavens declare the glory of God. These people have learned more about God. They may even know about Jesus Christ, His death, burial, ascension, and coming return. These people would say of themselves, they know God, they follow God, they're believers, they're Christians, they're born again, their list can go on and on. But the point of it is this, they have more exposure to God in some degree, some exposure to the teaching about God, and they have officially embraced it. They're not like the other group. When you talk to people about God, these kinds of people about God, they're going to bring up in response to what you say to them, They're going to say something about their experience or something about a religious principle. So when you ask them about their faith, they're going to say something like this. Well, I was raised Catholic. I was raised Christian. I was raised Baptist. Or I was baptized in the church when I was very young. Or I went went through confirmation. I received the Holy Eucharist. Or I went to church as a child. Or I went to vacation Bible school. They may even say, well, I prayed a prayer to accept Jesus Christ into my heart as a child. They may say, I'm a member of such and such a church. And in any case, when you talk to them about their faith, what they're going to do is give to you some kind of personal connection to religion, to something that is recognized to be religious. And sometimes if it's not to some experience, like, well, I was baptized when I was young, it could be simply, well, I believe in God, I believe He has a purpose for my life, and I believe I ought to live a good life, and that's what God wants me to do. So instead of saying, well, I I had this religious experience in my past, instead they're going to say, well, I hold right now to religious principles. That's, That's the stuff of my faith. Of course I believe in God. I try to help people. I try to live a good life and care for other people. So this group is officially committed to God. They're all going to say that they have a connection to God, whereas the group one, they don't make that declaration. They're not going to say that at all. Now let's consider some people in this group. Let's turn to Matthew's gospel, first gospel in the New Testament. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7 and consider what God says about this second group of people. Matthew 7 verse 21. The Bible says, not everyone who says to me, Jesus speaking here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? So notice first from what Jesus says that there are people who officially knew God. They called God Lord. They acted in His name. It was official in their minds. Turn forward a page or two to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 opens with the listing of Jesus' disciples. It says He called to Him twelve disciples. Verse 2, the names of the twelve apostles are these. Look at the end of verse 4. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So he was numbered among them, but as we know about Judas Iscariot, he wasn't truly one of them. Same could be true of God's people through the ages, but we find this in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, where Paul says, Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Or as we read this morning at the tail end of Jeremiah chapter 9, it talks about those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, but not in heart. There are those who are simply religious externally, but not internally. So now this second group, we see that these people are among the people of God. We can turn forward to 2 Timothy 3.7, where we hear Paul speak to young Timothy, where he says, Of this group, they're always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So what's true of this second group? These are folks who keep learning more and more and more about God. So from these passages, what are we going to learn? Well, we learn what this second group says. They say, Lord, Lord. We know where this second group can be found. They're found among God's people. We see what they are doing. They are increasing in the knowledge of God. They profess God. They associate with God's people. They may do so locally in a church. They may do so universally, not thinking they need to associate with any church locally. But they confess to be among God's people. And they have some religious experience or some kind of religious learning. But here's the point. God's determination of this second group, of those who are officially connected to him, he says the connection isn't real. If you're back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, we'll look at verse 23. To these people who said to the Lord, 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 he says to them, verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, even the second group who would identify with God, they refuse to honor God. So their service to God is simply lip service. Either God is going to send them away one day in judgment, or they will wander off before that. And this is what I mean very practically. There are people who have religious experiences, like they attend church as a child. They go to vacation Bible school as a child. But after that experience... What do they do? Well, they did something as a child, but they haven't been to church in years. They haven't talked to God in years. They haven't opened the Bible in years. We would say they've wandered away from what they had when they were young. So they kind of already separate themselves from religion, from God. 
There are also people that will say, well, that, that would be like Judas. He was among the disciples, but eventually he cut loose from them. You also would have people who associate with God. They associate with God's people. They learn more about God. They profess to be one of God's people until their dying day. And then it comes to judgment day, and we have Jesus with the, with the judgment of the sheep and the goats. He separates those, Matthew 25. Just clearly saying who is his and who is not. So some people, some people say it's official now, but then they, they cut loose. Or they think it's official, but one day Jesus will cut loose them, cut them loose on Judgment Day. Say, so where are we going with all this? Well, there are some practical things we need to consider. And we need to consider this all depending on our relationship to other people. Or if we're considering ourselves as a church. Individually, none of us can be dogmatic of who is and who is not a child of God. So young people, your mom and dad do not know with beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know the Lord. Only God knows that. They may hear your words, they may see your life and have a really good guess, but only God knows beyond a shadow of a doubt. Ultimate judgment rests with God. And what we learn from God's word is that there will be a lot of surprises on judgment day. People who officially said, I'm part of that group, whom Jesus will say, you're not, depart. Obviously, there's going to be some the other way around. There will be some people we don't know identify with the Lord, and they will, and we'll see them there. We didn't know they would be there. It works both ways. That's as an individual, we can't cast any kind of final judgment. What about as a church? Well, we have a duty as a local church for the sake of the gospel to recognize, affirm, and edify other people who confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And people who don't, we don't recognize and affirm and edify. Why? Because we just, we just don't bring people in and say, sure, become a member of the church and then you get to Judgment Day one day and you say, of course I'm allowed into heaven. I'm a member of Waterville Baptist Church. God won't be impressed. That won't get you in. So what does the church have to do? We have to be discerning when it comes to those who want to be members here. We have to try to figure out, do you just know about God or do you know God? So, is the church supposed to judge people? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 5.13 we're supposed to judge those within our body. Absolutely. Now, that's seeking application of how to deal with this when we look at other people. But we need to look at this by way of examining our hearts. Very specifically, are you, am I, a member of the second group who knows God officially? Well, how do you know if it includes me? Ask yourself this. Ask yourself whether your profession of knowing God rests on a particular experience. It rests on a certain association. Or if it rests on increasing experiences of learning about religion. The question I have is, does all your hope of eternal life rest upon a prayer that you prayed or upon your baptism? Does your hope rest in your agreement with religious principles? Does your hope rest upon the fact that you attend church, that you were a member of a church? Does your hope of eternal life 
and being with God forever, does it rest on the fact that you have a vast theological knowledge? If your hope rests upon something that is yours, you don't know God. Because your hope's not in Him. Let's examine it just by way of another angle. If Christianity in the United States became, uh, became illegal and Christians were imprisoned, they're not together, they're separated from each other, are you still going to have hope? I ask that just as to say, if we don't have all of this organized religion and brothers and sisters in the Lord, do you still have a faith? Does your faith still exist? Last, I would say this. Ask yourself, do you really believe that Christianity is more than doing good, than doing religious things? Do you really believe that the Bible is more than a guidebook for life, of how to live a good life? Is that really all you believe, that the Bible and religion is about do's and don'ts? And if you would say, honestly, you know, I, that, that perhaps does identify me perfectly. Well, I want you to consider this last group of people. We have the first group that know God generally. They know about God. Second group, they know God officially. They know about God. And now a third group of people. A third group of people that not only knows about God, but they honor God, in contrast to the previous two groups. One of the previous groups says we have no connection to God. The second group says we do have a connection, but that is a false connection. This final group, they know God personally. These are the people who do have religious experiences. They do associate with God's people. They do profess God's name. They do learn more about God. I'm not saying that learning about God, going to church with God's people, and all of those religious experiences that are set forth for us in God's Word aren't, any, aren't of any value. They are. But these people who know God personally don't put their confidence in those experiences. Instead of simply knowing about God, they know God. That is to say they have a relationship with God. And I think sometimes because... I don't say we overuse the term relationship, but I think that because we're used to the term relationship, we may quickly accept it and really not think about it. What's a relationship? A relationship is where people relate to each other. It's when they have personal dealings with other people. The same is true when people know the Lord. They have a relationship with God. So as a person learns about God... They learn about him beyond that he's the creator. They learn about God's greatness and his goodness. They learn about their responsibility to love God perfectly. He made me. I'm supposed to love him perfectly. And then they realize that that their life, that my life, is an abysmal failure when it comes to loving God perfectly. Then they realize that God is gracious and merciful to forgive us of all of our sins through the work of Jesus Christ. Those people who learn those things about God, they respond by seeking God. By God's grace, they see God's invitation to come and have a relationship with Him. So Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me. Those who seek me diligently, find me. Matthew 7, 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Deuteronomy 4. For there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. So the point is this. Those who know God, they look for him. They look for God. Remember I said to you before that the Bible is not simply a guidebook. Like you open the Bible up in the morning, you think, well, what should I do today? Let me find a principle for today. No, you open your Bible, you go to Genesis 1, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you think, huh, this book isn't about me, it's about God. Right. And you open to the New Testament. And the New Testament opens and says, Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. What's this about? It's about Jesus. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The last book of the Bible, Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible is about God. It's about a person. It's not about a principle. It's not a stack of principles. This is God's revelation to us. And those who know God look for God when they read the Bible. Now, there are some of us who know God that just need to take hold of that truth right there and completely reorient your personal devotions. When you read your Bible, look for God. Because if you just get up and you say, God, what do you want me to do today? That's going to get really dry, really fast, because there's no God in that relationship. It's just religious principles. People who know God seek him. Secondly, they respond to God. Obviously, there's an initial response when someone is converted. They respond to the grace of God by calling upon his name, Romans 10, 13. And as they grow in their walk with the Lord, there's going to be an increasing response because they know God. They talk to God when God talks to them in His Word. So they pray, which means you talk to God. Just think about it this way. Have you ever had a relationship with someone who doesn't want to talk to you, who won't talk to you? That's hard. Knock on someone's door. Try to start a conversation with them. And and they're ready to shut the door. They're ready not to say anything to you. It's really hard to have a relationship with that person. And God has spoken to us. And we ought to, if we're going to have a relationship with Him, respond to Him. Speak to Him. So sometimes we respond by talking to Him in prayer. Sometimes we respond to Him through obedience from day to day. But there's going to be some kind of response when we have a relationship with God. So how does that apply to us? Well, examine whether, whether or not you've sought the Lord, whether or not you respond to Him. Ask yourselves in this very moment, am I willing to, in obedience, respond to what God's Word plainly says? Am I willing to say, God said it, I believe it. God said it, I'll do it. Are you willing to be responsive? Years ago, in this very area of New York, it became very, very popular for preachers to give long and extended invitations. And that was because at the time, preachers believed that it was up to them 
for sinners to become Christians and for Christians to become good Christians. And if a preacher preached the right way, he could get anyone he wanted saved and anyone he wanted living a better Christian life. Now, while that is heresy, and this generation doesn't have invitations like former generations did, with with the now history being invitations, with not having those same kind of invitations today, many Christians come to church and they learn something new and they say, huh, that's cool. And they think because they learned something new, I had a good experience at church. And they walk out the door and say, thanks, pastor. You gave me something I hadn't thought I didn't know before. And they think that's religion. It's not because there's no response to God. There is no, you said it, Lord, and I must do it. I learned this morning that I don't know the Lord, and I must come to know the Lord. So at least when there was an invitation, there was at least a moment where we actually had to think, what about me and what the Bible said? Because every time God's worth goes forth, there's supposed to be a response to it. Where all you get is, well, you increase learning and increase learning and increase learning, and you never come to the knowledge of the truth, as 2 Timothy 3.7 says. So ask yourself, do you have a relationship with God? I'm not saying... Is your relationship with God kind of rocky right now? I'm saying, do you have a relationship with God? Because there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a difference between knowing what a house is. Young people, you could tell me that, what a house is. And some other smarter, older people could tell us everything that goes into making a house. All the intricate details. But the question is, do you know what it's like to live in a house? Because knowing what a house is and knowing what it is to live in a house are completely different things. Especially if you've ever lived on the street in the cold. You know the difference between what it is to know about a house and to know about it because you've lived in one. Lots of people know about God. Everybody knows about God. But only a few people know God personally. People who know God personally walk with Him and talk with Him. They know that God tells him that we are his own. The joy we share as we tarry there, no one other has ever known. Jim Berg said, we know God when we have many personal interactions with him to the point that he is predictable to us and entirely satisfying to us. Do you have a relationship with God? All people know God, but only some people know him personally. So here's the point of the morning message. The God known by all must be personally known by you. Must be personally known by me. Don't think that religion is just a topic you learn about or it's a list of principles that you hold to. Just like is true with baseball, the coach is meant to teach you a bunch of stuff of the sport, but he's not the object of your attention. And such it is in true religion. God is meant to be the object of your attention. Not all the other periphery stuff. We're supposed to relate to him. God says, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Knowing God generally, officially, or personally, where are you today? Father, as we close, shed light on our hearts.
Help us not to sit with comfort on the fact that everyone knows about God, believes there's a God. Because that isn't enough on Judgment Day. It's not enough for a good life. It's not enough for what you would have for us in this life. Father, what we need is you. What we need is to pursue you and to know you. So help us, Lord. Help us to not only know about you, but to seek you and respond to you, to know you personally. We ask for help to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.